we are excited to be here. I'm just going to get set up a little bit. My new toy that I bought this week, and I'm figuring I'm going to try it out right now. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy, we're going to be there this morning. Just give a little bit more introduction about us. Um, you probably do not know who I am. My name is Nick Taylor. Uh, I am a missionary with Tri-M uh, and also with Grace Global Ministries. Grace Global is based out of uh, Grace Baptist Church down in Cedarville, Ohio, so not too far from here. Uh, and while you may not know me, you might, be able, you might know my wife, Amy. Uh, her last name now is Taylor, but it is originally Thule. And so obviously you know Teresa, her mother. So uh, Amy was actually, we were talking about this last night. She, we've lived more in Toledo than we have uh, back in our hometowns. But this is where the church where really she grew up spiritually. Uh, and so she's, we are excited to be, be here and be able to be a part of it. Now, as Pastor Dana said, we are with Tri-M, and uh, you do know a little bit about Tri-M, having known the Durlins, but Tri-M is a group of missionaries, and uh, what we do is we travel around the world to different sites, uh, teaching and training national pastors. Now, Tri-M, we call it Tri-M uh, because it stands for Mobile Modular Ministry, mobile, because we're going all around the world, we are going to where these national pastors live. Uh, and so we're going all over the world in different places. Modular, because of the way we do our teaching and training, is, is kind of in one or two week modular, similar to what uh, you would find if you went to a university and received your master's or doctorate. You would go for one or two weeks of intense training, and then the time in between would be spent studying and doing your homework and stuff like that. And then ministry, because we are reaching out to those who are called to ministry, whether it be a pastor or even lay leaders. We are ministering to them. And so our theme, our, our, our tagline, or our, what we say our ministry is, is biblical leadership training. And it's actually based upon this passage that we're looking at this morning in 2 Timothy 2. 2. That's really our main theme verse for our ministry. Uh, and what it entails is we're going all around the world and training people in three main areas. One is Bible exposition. Second would be theological or doctrinal studies. And then we're also going to train them up on practical subjects. So each time we're going, it's about a four or five year program that we're leading these pastors through. And we're there for an entire week at one site. And we'll say, you know, we'll teach two or three classes. So it ends up totaling about 20 to 30 classes that they're receiving training on. And the time in between where I'm going for about three or four weeks at a time, the time in between then is, is going to be spent back here in the United States. We're most likely, we're going to continue to live in Toledo, Ohio. And, uh, but it will be spent researching, writing all my curriculum, all my lessons, all those kind of deals. So uh, it, we've been at Emmanuel Baptist Church now for uh, close to 20 years now. Uh, we've been members there for 20 years, attending for a little bit longer. And during that time, we've been able to really to be blessed, to be a part of several mission trips to different countries, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Jamaica, Mexico. Uh, and most of these were construction trips. But there was one thing that we noticed on all of these trips is that there was this great need for pastors to be trained theologically. Uh, we're sending missionaries out, and they're going, and they're planning a church, and they're leading this church, and they're working, most of the time they're working with one national pastor and building him up and working, investing in his life. And, and these are national pastors who already know the language, and they know the culture. They just didn't have the theological training. 
And we would see this on trip after trip, and we thought, you know what, there's got to be something we can do about this. It's it's not that our missionaries were doing a bad job uh, of training these national pastors. It's just that they've planted a church, and they're leading that church, and all the responsibilities that come with it, they just did not simply have time to train more than one, maybe two men at a time. So we we started thinking, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be something that we can do to be a part of to help this out. And as I started talking with several of our missionaries, uh, I was asking them about this, and they said, yeah, the, the need to train national pastors is great, but, the dif- but is difficult at the same time. So a few years back, uh, a few years ago in the spring of 2015, I actually became acquainted with this group called Tri-M. And as I started to learn more about it, I said, this this sounds interesting. This sounds like something that I might be interested in, in being a part of um, because they were training national pastors all over the world in these one to two week sessions. Um, and so my interest was piqued. I thought this, this sounds very similar to what Amy and I thought would be a good ministry, something that is much needed around the world. So that fall, in, the, in fall of 2015, I actually got to go see it firsthand. Our missionary that I learned learned about Triumph from, he invited me to come out to India. He goes, why don't you just come out for a week to observe? I said, okay, I'll, I'll go for a week. And so what I got to do is I got to fly to India, go there, and in one week I got to see over 100 pastors and leaders trained in, in three areas, the, the, the epistles of Paul preaching and in church history. And I was blown away. I thought, this is exactly what I want to do. And God really worked on me that week to show me, yeah, this is where you need to be. This is what I want you to do. And so from that point on, I just began pursuing more opportunities. Uh, I took a couple more trips with, with, to India, d- did some teaching trips. I taught on the Holy Spirit one week. Uh, and then the next week I taught on uh, biblical interpretation. And then on my last trip, I, was able to, I taught a week on the Old Testament story and then the New Testament story the following week. And so I'm like, this is great. And so I reached out to our, the director of Trime and said, hey, I'm just looking for other opportunities to, uh, to you know, some more teaching opportunities. They said, okay, great. And so they came over to our house and interviewed us informally, and we didn't even know that was going to be the case. And so a year ago, we were actually accepted by Tri-M uh, to be full-time missionaries and to be a part of their team. And so we were very excited. And so then we began the process of finding a mission agency, and we found Grace Global. And so in uh, late January, early February of this year, uh, we were able to join with them, be accepted by them. (laughs) Was that me? So did my mic go bad? So, okay, I'm good. I can talk loud, too, so (laughs) that's not going to be a problem. So uh, in February of this last year, um, we are accepted by Grace Global to be a part of their uh, team. And so now we're in the process of going around the churches and raising support. And, and that's why we are here today as we're looking to partner with churches and individuals who want to be a part of our team. Uh, so after the church this morning, as Pastor Dana alluded to, there's going to be a time after lunch for some Q&A, um, to just ask us questions. And I love Q&A because you, get any que- you can ask anything you really want to. Um, and I'll try to answer it if I can. But we'd love to be able to talk more about our ministry. Our prayer cards are going to be there at that time. You can pick up one of these, take them home with us. You can uh, remember to pray for us. Uh, we're going to have a sign-up uh, to be able to be on our newsletter. 
so you can fill that out and we can, you know, send out, when we send out, I, I try to send them out monthly, but that doesn't always happen, but we will uh, try to take care of that. So, uh, but this morning though, I want our focus uh, to be on our passage uh, here in 2 Timothy and how it applies to each of our lives. Uh, the focus of our passage is going to be on chapter 1, verse 8 through uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Um, I actually want to start, though, reading in with chapter 1, verse 1. I want us to be able to get the context of, of this letter and really feel everything that Paul is trying to get across to Timothy as he's writing this. So if you want to follow along as I'm reading, starting in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the, pre- pres- to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who served us, I'm sorry, who saved us and called us according to a holy calling, not because of our, our, our works, but because of his own purpose and grace that he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day. What has been entrusted to me, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phrygelus and Hermonagus. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. For what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now this letter of 2 Timothy is unique and that it is both a pastoral epistle and it's also a prison epistle. A lot of times we'll, we'll take 1 Timothy and Titus and say, well, these are the pastoral epistles because this is, you know, Paul is expounding what is expected of elders or pastors and deacons. And Tim, 2 Timothy gets lumped in there too. 
But then it's also, as we see Paul is in prison here, he said, I am in chains, in prison. So we would also consider this a prison. A prison. <laughs> is it me? So we're we using this mic now? Okay. Okay, so we're going to take this one down just to drop it out of the way. And, and so this is a unique uh, letter uh, in that it's, it's both prison and pastoral. So for whatever reason, though, Timothy is struggling. He is the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he is struggling, though, or at least feels as if he is struggling. And so Paul wants to write him a letter of encouragement. He goes, I want to encourage Timothy here. And so as we look at this letter of encouragement, though, we really see, we really feel and sense the passion of Paul. But we also see the reality of suffering for the cause of Christ. Many, many people around the world endure great opposition and even death for the gospel. So we need to feel the weight of these words this morning and at the same time feel the wonder of Jesus who is able to, or who is our great Savior because he alone is worthy of our praise and of our lives. So in this letter of encouragement, though, we find several commands that Paul has given to Timothy to encourage him. But these are commands that apply to us also because every one of us here needs to be encouraged in some way. I don't think I've ever met anybody that says, you know what, I've had too much encouragement today. Just stop. You know, no, please continue to encourage me. So my prayer is, this morning is not that this message would encourage you, but that your encouragement would come from the Word of God. With that being said, I want to dive into this text and into what Paul says, and starting in verse Eight, he says, therefore, and every time you read a passage that says, therefore, you always need to go back and look at what he is talking about. And so what we see in the first uh, seven verses is there is that we learn about the great faith of Timothy's mother, his grandmother, and even of Timothy himself. Timothy came from a family that had great faith. And so no matter the difficulties in life that they were experiencing, they remained faithful to God. We also see that Paul is reminding Timothy that God does not give us a spirit of fear, but one of love and power and self-control. So Paul is trying to tell Timothy, hey, you have nothing to fear. God is on your side. If you've got the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, if, you, know, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, you have nothing to fear. But it seems as if Timothy has forgotten these things. <clears throat> you know, whatever he was dealing with in life had overtaken him. He'd allowed it to overtake him and cause him to forget about his faith. Uh, and even, he was even forgetting that God was dwelling in him. These great truths Timothy was forgetting. And so Paul wants to encourage Timothy, and to do that, he really gives four, or I'm sorry, three imperatives or, or commands. Starting in verse 8, he, and the three commands that we see there are, are, are do not be ashamed, share in the suffering, and follow. Now, when we're trying to encourage somebody, these are not words that we're usually throwing out there. You know, if I want to encourage somebody, I'm not going to tell them, hey, you know what, you need to, I'm sorry, I forget that I'm working off of this mic now. <laughs> I can't be walking around. When I go to encourage somebody, I, I, I usually don't mention suffering. I'm not mentioning shame. These are not words that I'm throwing out there when I'm trying to encourage somebody. 
And so as I study this, though, I actually what I find is that the, the encouragement does not come in the verbs. When we think of a normal sentence structure, we've got subject, object, or, su- subject, verb, and object. And the subject here in each of these commands is Timothy. It's in the second person. So Paul is saying to Timothy, you do not be ashamed. You share in the suffering. You, sorry, follow. So these are the, the object or the subject and the verb, but the object is actually where we find our encouragement from. We looked at the object of each of these, and it says the testimony about our Lord, the gospel, the pattern of the sound words you have heard from me. This is where Timothy was to find his encouragement because all of these objects were pointing to one thing, and that was the gospel. That is where Timothy and us this morning are to find our encouragement. Paul's fear here is that Timothy is letting go of his faith, of his trust in the testimony of Christ. Paul's fear is that life has just become too hard, too difficult for Timothy, and he's ready to just give up and give in and just quit. And so he's let the struggles of life overtake his faith in God. And so I want to take some time here looking at each of these encouragements. The first one is do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. This is not the first time we've heard this from, from Paul looking, thinking of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we picture Timothy. He's in this tough city of Ephesus where there's these competing religious systems, these competing worldviews, ideologies. All this is going on. Ephesus was a city full of idols. And if you look back in, in Acts at the story of Ephesus, a, a riot even broke out after Paul would, had ministered there. So there's undoubtedly people in Ephesus that thought that even the notion of the cross was foolishness, very much like the Corinthians. But Paul is saying to Timothy, do not be ashamed of your faith. You need to stand up for what you believe in. Today we have all kinds of conflicting and competing ideologies and worldviews among us also. We are not that much different from Ephesus and what Timothy was dealing with. One of the most prevalent worldviews that uh, pastors and theologians describe today is what is described as moralistic therapeutic deism. And this, it's this idea that if I do good, or maybe if I just I feel good, or I believe in a God, that one day there's going to be a place waiting for me in heaven. And, and the very idea that we are bad people, and, and even use the term sin or sinners... And somebody in need of a savior is considered ignorant, ignorant, primitive, and simply foolish. But Paul goes on to include himself. He says, do not be ashamed of, our, of the testimony of our Lord, but also of me, for I am in chains. And we see at the end of chapter 1 that people left Paul. They were ashamed of the gospel, and they were ashamed of Paul and all that he had been talking about. When times got tough, they ran. They just got out of there. They didn't want to deal with it. Oftentimes believers refuse to associate with their brothers and sisters who 
are taking a stand for Christ. And, and this happens all the time. It may, it, may be, it may happen in a school where someone may come alongside somebody and try to witness to them. And other Christians, people that call themselves Christians, will just kind of back away and just not support them, not stand there with them. It may happen on a business trip as after, at the end of the day, the group decides we're going to go out and a Christian says, you know, I don't really want to. I, that's not something that I really want to be a part of. And the other Christians will, will maybe even mock him. Say, we're just going out and have a little fun. In context of this letter, Paul is in chains. He is in prison. And people were leaving him. And so he's urging Timothy, do not join them. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Do not be ashamed of me. And so with all these competing worldviews that we have out there among us, it's important that we listen to the words of Paul here and not be ashamed of our Lord. And we need to stand up for what we believe in. But not only must we be unashamed of the gospel, but Paul as a Timothy and us also should share in the suffering for the gospel. Suffering for Christ is a major theme in this letter. And over the next few verses, Paul really here explains how we suffer, why we suffer, and when we should expect suffering. Paul reminds Timothy that living for the gospel is not easy. As I read through the Bible, there is nothing in here that says become a Christian and your life is easy. Just because we have a gospel-centered, Christ-centered life does not mean that trials, sufferings, and afflictions go away. These things are still going to be present in our life. But living a gospel-centered, Christ-centered life means that we see the purpose in these things. That God uses these things, these afflictions, sufferings, these trials in our life to draw us back to Him. Because it's during those times that we realize, we can't do this. I can't deal with this on my own. And God's saying, well, I know. <laughs> That's why I've sent Christ to you. And so we see the purpose in these things. And it's when we live a gospel-centered, Christ-centered life, it's in these afflictions and trials and sufferings that we actually can continue to have hope despite these tough times. Like Timothy, we are weak vessels. But it's by God's power we can endure hardship because Jesus supplies that sufficient strength to us as his followers so that we can endure opposition, weakness, and persecution. <clears throat> Now, perhaps the reason Paul found it necessary to tell Timothy to suffer for the power of God is that he knew of Timothy's tendency, and I would even say our tendency, to try to do things on our own before we go to God. Going to God is typically the last thing we try to do. Well, I'm going through this trial in my life, and I've tried to make this change in my life. I've tried to do this, and it's just not working, so I guess I'll pray. I guess I'll talk to somebody. I guess I'll read the Bible. That was Timothy's tendency, and I would say that is our tendency too. And so when we look at this verse, this verse needs to remind us that apart from him, apart from God, we can do nothing on our own. Now the reason Paul was willing to lay down his life in this mission was that he believed the gospel was worth it. Christ was worth it. See, Paul found Christ to be more desirable, more enjoyable, more beautiful than anything else in the world. Paul even considered dying. He said, dying is a gain for me. And it was because of this vision of his Savior. That's, I would say that's a vision we all need to have too. Because religious people find God useful, 
but it's cross-bearing disciples that find him beautiful. And it's being a cross-bearing disciple that allows us to endure suffering. And what allows us to endure the suffering is when we see the greatness of God and salvation. And we see the grace of God and salvation. So in addition to standing tall and suffering for the gospel, in this verse, in these verses, Paul is urging Timothy to guard the gospel. Now he uses a couple different words here. And the word choice in verses 13 and 14 just shows us how precious and unchanging the gospel is. And why we must guard it faithfully. Notice these words and phrases. The pattern, the sound teaching, and the good deposit. The word pattern there in verse 13, he's talking more about an outline. You know, when, I go, when I went to prepare this message, I started with what I thought were going to be the main points. I created this outline and then went in and filled in the details later. Before I went in the ministry, I was a civil engineer for 15 years. And when a project would come across and say, okay, you need to do this, uh, you need to design this row, we would start and kind of just lay it out, sketch it out. And that really was our outline. And then later on, we would come and fill in the details. And that's kind of the sense of the word there. When Paul is talking about pattern, that's what he's using here. See, Timothy was to follow Paul's outline and then expound upon it, apply it to people's lives. Timothy was not told to make up his own outline or to add to it or take away from it. He was to take what Paul had taught and then teach it to others. He said there's, there's no other gospel other than the one Paul had passed along to Timothy. And that gospel that he had passed along to Timothy was the one that was found right here in the word of God. So while we may imply, uh, apply its implications in various ways to people today, uh, we may not adjust the message of the gospel that is found here in the Bible. Now, the word sound here, he talked about the sound words. He's talking about healthy. And that word healthy there is it's really thinking of the gospel. The gospel takes spiritually sick people and makes them whole in Christ. That's what he's talking about here. Just as we try to give our kids healthy foods to eat so that they can grow up nice and strong and big. And I'm sure everybody does that. Timothy was to give God's people healthy teaching so that they could grow up in their faith. So that their faith would grow. But the gospel is not just healthy words and an outline for teaching. And it's also to be thought of as a good deposit. And those a couple different words, they're good. When he's talking about the word good, he's talking about the word beautiful. And then when he's, he's using that word deposit, he, he's really thinking of a treasure, something that you guard with your life, keep it from a, intruders, people trying to steal it. And so he's talking to Timothy, he's like, you need to look at this gospel as a good deposit, a beautiful treasure that you are to guard with your life. So there was heretics all around Timothy who wanted to take that message of the gospel and add to it, change it to their liking. And he's telling Timothy, you, you need to guard this. And Timothy, like us, was called to protect this beautiful gospel. Now, as we skip ahead, I want to skip ahead to chapter 2. Not that the end of chapter 1 is... Um, a bad or, or not easy to preach on, but I want to skip ahead. I want to look at the focus of this chapter. Up to this point, Timothy has been encouraging, has been encouraged by Paul. But now Paul's switching up his tactics a little bit. He's going to still continue to encourage Timothy, but now he goes, Timothy, I want you to take this and I want you to be encouraging others. 
And so Paul is reinforcing his message. He's kind of summarizing. So you're going to see a lot of the same points. But he's, all right, Timothy, I've encouraged you this way, but now I want you to take that and go and encourage others. So then uh, chapter 2, verse 1, you then my child. And again, we see Paul as showing the strength of their relationship. He didn't view Timothy merely as a fellow pastor, as a protege. He viewed him as one of his own children. And this strong relationship allowed Paul to speak boldly in, in the, Timothy's life, but while also speaking truthfully. And so the first thing that, that Paul wants Timothy to encourage others by is by being strengthened by grace. So there in verse 1, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Essentially what Paul is trying to say is, you cannot do this on your own. You've got to stop trying to do this on your own. He does not tell him simply to be strong or, or to pull himself up. See, that would be of no help. Paul tells Timothy to be inwardly strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. Again, the encouragement is not found in the verb of being strengthened. The encouragement is found in the object. Our encouragement this morning comes in the grace that is in Christ. So if Timothy was going to last in Ephesus, a city with blatant heresy, widespread disbelief, in an overall difficult church, he was going to have to endure by the strength of Jesus. Well, what about us? I think that description of the city of Ephesus, of blatant, blatant heresy and widespread disbelief, I think that speaks of our culture today too. So how do we endure? Well, it's by that very same strength that Timothy was to endure. Our strength is not in how long we have been Christians. Our strength is not in how much we know about the Bible. Our strength is not in how long we have been in ministry. Our strength is found only in the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's from our union with him, and it grows with each time that we meet with him. So if you're here this morning and you find yourself desperate for strength, you feel like Timothy, you're weak, you're discouraged, I'll tell you, you're in a good place. You are a perfect candidate for grace. Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith, reminds us of people, a number of faithful servants who gained strength after being weak. They found their strength through God. So perhaps you're dealing with a wayward child, fatigue, discouragement, betrayal, illness. Remember that there is a fountain of grace in Jesus. So if you're looking for strength to endure in the midst of hardship and suffering, you know, we need to look in the right place, which is right here in the Word of God. And we need to look to the right person who is Jesus Christ. Now chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I want you to, or he says, I want you to be strengthened by grace, encourage others this way, and then I want you to encourage others by entrusting in faithful men. And this is actually kind of going back to verses 12 through 14. Paul's picking up this idea there from those verses about guarding the gospel, but now he wants to take it to a next step. He goes, all right, I've already talked to you about guarding the gospel, but now I want you to pass this on. I want you to entrust in faithful men. And so actually in these two chapters, we see the four stages of the gospel handoff here. First, we see that 
Christ gave Paul the message in verse 12. Paul did not make up this message. He was given to him. It was through divine revelation, not human intervention. And then Paul passes this message on to Timothy. He goes, uh, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. This would have been the basic message that Paul had preached in the synagogues and, and publicly everywhere. He goes, I want you, this is the message that you are to pass on. So what Timothy had heard, he was now to speak. So it goes first to Paul, then to Timothy. Now Timothy was to pass this on to others, to faithful men. He was to put the gospel into the safe, men, safe hands of men who possessed two essential qualifications. One is that they would be faithful, and the other that they would be able to teach others also. And talking about faithful men, this is talking directly about the life of pastors. Faithful men are to be trustworthy, of good character, and accurate in their teaching of the gospel. So Paul received it, passed it on to Timothy. Timothy was now to pass it on the others. And then the fourth and final stage is that these others then pass it on to other men even farther. Timothy was to trust in these faithful men so that they could teach others also. Think about this. As we have read this passage, Paul is in a hole in the ground in Rome writing this letter. And here we are in Logansville, Ohio, roughly about 2,000 years later, and we have the very same message that Paul has written. So how does that happen? Well, it's simple. By faithful men who practice 2 Timothy 2.2, they did not let the gospel die with them. They continue to pass it on. And every Christian leader should be looking for some faithful believers who, who can do the very same thing. It is our responsibility of, as stewards of God's word to guard the gospel and trust it to us and then invest it in faithful men who are able to also do that same thing, passing it on to others, those who are able to teach others. Could anything be more important than passing on the message of salvation to qualified teachers? Well, Amy and I would say no. <laughs> that's why we are in ministry. And that's why we have joined with Tri-M. It's estimated that only 5% of, pastors, of pastoral leaders around the world, uh, those presently in ministry, have received training in some way. Only 5%. And so that means that as many as 2 million pastors around the world are ministering today without the necessary training without the necessary skills, without the necessary relationships to flourish in sustained ministry. And so we're talking about sustained ministry. They'd be able to start a church, but then just wouldn't be able to keep that ministry going because they do not have the skills, the training, the relationships necessary to do that. And this is where our ministry comes in. As we come alongside these faithful men and train them with the goal of them going on to train others. And the focus area of Tri-M is, is the 1040 window. The 1040 window is a rectangular area that takes up North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. And it's, the boundaries are like the 10 degrees north latitude, the 40 degrees north latitude. I don't know who came up with it. But this is an area where the majority of the world's population lives. It's the majority uh, of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. Those religious belief systems that are really in opposition to the gospel where the majority of those people live. It is also where less than 2% of the population, we would say, has been reached with the gospel. 
meaning that less than 2% of the people in those countries have even heard the message of the gospel. Most of the countries there have restricted or maybe even no access to missionaries. The India where I've been able to be a part of three times, three trips here, uh, it's considered an open country. But when I go, I have to go on a tourist visa. We can't publicly proclaim, they can't put up anything that says, hey, Nick is coming to speak here. We can't do any public speaking. Because if that were to happen, we would most likely be arrested, detained, and kicked out of the country for good. So we can go, but we have to be careful. See, there's anti-conversion laws there, and the persecution in India is very, very strong. And it's similar to other countries in the 1040 window. But these are countries where we want to minister at because because God is still working there despite the oppression, despite the persecution. You know, we say India is is unevangelical. It's less than 2% of her the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, when you start doing math, 2% of a billion people means that there are still approximately 20 million Christians in, in India. And I've been there and I've seen that the local church is very much alive and strong in India. And so it's, these are, this is where we want to be. So the 1040 window is a perfect fit for Triam because, it is, because the pastors and leaders there have little to no access to biblical training. Uh, if there is some formal biblical training present, it, it may be in a large city that's too far away. Or it may cost too much. Most of our, if I would say not all of our leaders and pastors that we are training are bivocational. And so they are not earning enough to even, you know, to be able to afford to go away for any amount of time for this formal biblical training. And unfortunately, in many of the countries that we go to, there is no access to formal training because it is not allowed by the government. But this is where we, as, as missionaries with Tri-M, can fill the gap and we can help support national pastors and leaders so they can, in turn, lead their local churches and keep the spread of the gospel going in their country. Now, Paul has given three encouragements to Timothy to pass along because I want you to be strengthened by the grace I want you to entrust in faithful men. And then we see here the final encouragement in verse 3 to Timothy. It was to pass on to, it was to share in the suffering. This is going back to chapter 1, verse 8. He was to endure for the gospel. And to, to illustrate this, Paul uses three metaphors over the next couple of verses here. One of a soldier, one of an athlete, and one of a farmer. A great soldier is known for his focus and his willingness to suffer, his willingness to die for his country. Timothy was to endure hardship. Suffering and hardship are part of the life of every Christian. And Christ has called us not to a life of ease, but to a life of endurance. By the grace that is in Jesus, we we are called to put on that helmet and to stay in the battle until our commander says that the war is over. My friend in India, Pastor J.D., has had to endure a lot of hardship, a lot of persecution in his life. This last trip I got to go on, uh, it was really kind of uh, the culmination of years and years of persecution that he's had to deal with. And it, he doesn't believe it's over now. But years ago, uh, Hindus came during one of their church services and attempted to burn down the church while they were having a service put on. So when the police show up because the, the church is on fire, the Hindus blamed Pastor J.D. and said, he is forcing people to be converted. 
He is taking people and forcing them to leave Hinduism and join Christianity. And so because of the laws there, Pastor J.D. was arrested and, and, and put in the jail for a little bit of time. After a little bit of time, he was able to get out, but then he still had to go through trials and trials. And years later, when I went on this last trip, he had just finished up his last trial, and it was with the state Supreme Court there. And he was just having the, the, he was having to stand before judges and attorneys, and, and, and he had the opportunity to actually witness to them. And he would open up his Bible and say, and point to the Gospels, and say, it is not me. I cannot force people to convert. It is only through the working of the Holy Spirit, as we see here in the Bible, that people are, are converting to, to Christ. He goes, it is not me. He goes, I simply tell them the message of the gospel. But that didn't change anything. They continued to pursue him and go after him. Well, on my last trip there, he was supposed to have... Um, it was supposed to be his last day of the trial. And there were supposed to be two witnesses that come forward. Everybody else that they had brought forward and given false testimony, uh, they, had, you know, they weren't able to be there. So there's two men who were able to come. And so when I showed up, I said, Pastor J.D., how did your trial, how was it going? Because I had been keeping up with him. He said, Nick, you want to believe this. And he goes, you know, the trial was supposed to be yesterday. And two days ago, one of, the, the, one of the Hindus who was supposed to give testimony had a heart attack and passed away. And then yesterday, the other man who was, who was supposed to give testimony died in a motorcycle accident. And so I, we show up for the trial, and there's nobody there to give a testimony against me. And so the judge throws out the trial. And so that was it. He was cleared of any wrongdoing. And it's like, you can only look at that and go, God is in control. God is continuing to work there. And to J Pastor J.D. has continued to battle that persecution. He's continued to fight that battle. He is not giving up. So Paul is talking to Timothy. He tells him to be a soldier. But then he's also talking about an athlete and how an athlete must compete according to the rules if he is to be crowned. In order to be a winner, you must train. There's no shortcuts in sports. I love competing in athletics and mostly running, but there's no shortcuts in it. It requires discipline. And so we can watch sports on TV. We can watch whatever sport is you're liking. We can watch that and go, man, it would be awesome to be just like them. But then we look at how much they have to train, the money that they put into it, the time that they put into it, the strength, the discipline. You know, yeah, I don't really want to do that problem is we do the very same thing with God. We want our blessings in our lives, but we don't want to play by the rules. And I'm not talking about rules towards salvation, but rules, uh, Paul is talking about the desire of every true believer to walk in godliness in accordance with God's word. We have rules by which we are to live by. Our lives should be governed by the Bible. And so we want to be holy. We want to be this great Christian God wants believers to share their faith, to pray, to give financially for his missions. But we cannot take shortcuts either. So we take shortcuts by redefining God's truth or disobeying and saying, well, that doesn't really apply to me. So if we want the reward of faithfulness, we must compete according to God's standards. And just as with soldiers and athletes, farmers cannot take any shortcuts either. They must toil every day. And actually, farming is a great analogy for ministry. Pastoral work is not glamorous. It involves sowing, planting, 
plowing, monitoring. And just like farming, ministry is endless. There are no days off. There is no time off. There are tremendous blessings involved in watching people grow in holiness, seeing people change and grow and become more like Christ. Slow, careful, faithful pastoral ministry eventually produces because we reap what we sow. And so Paul has used these metaphors because each one suffers in his own way. And so we are called to share in the suffering. We are called to endure for the gospel. Now, as thinking of applications for our life from this text this morning, I, I really think Paul, the way he has encouraged Timothy is a way that he can encourage us and uh, apply to our lives today. So as I think of applications for our lives, one is do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Other worldviews reject not just God, but even a reject a, a, a respect for belief in him. The continued growth of other world religions, that many of which are hostile towards followers of Christ, makes Paul charge in chapter 1, verse 8 there, all the more relevant. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Reminds me of Jesus' words in Mark 8, 38. It says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of our, his Father and the holy angels. So this morning, let us... I'm sorry. I want to skip ahead. Notice that the Savior does not say to be ashamed of him or his words. Many people will mock both the person and the words of Christ, but gospel-centered bravery, on the other hand, requires that we take our stand with Jesus and with his teachings and let the chips fall where they may. Let us embrace the message... The passion of Polycarp, one of the very early church leaders about the second century, who refused to renounce Christ in the face of impending martyrdom. He said, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Second, I believe we need to share in the suffering for the gospel. As a herald, Paul announced the gospel. All believers, all of us here this morning, are sent into the world to proclaim and teach the good news of salvation by God's grace alone in Christ alone. And through faith, we share the same commissioning and the same message. We are to shine this gospel light in this dark world around us. And when we do this, though, we are likely to suffer for the gospel. While it's important to live out the gospel indeed, it is absolutely essential that we are speaking the gospel in word. And speaking of this good news, we should expect opposition. We do not go looking for the suffering, but we should not be surprised by it when we give verbal witness to it. But we need to share in the suffering for the gospel. Take every opportunity that we have to proclaim the gospel. This is a letter of encouragement that Paul has given to Timothy, and yet all throughout it, he's talking about the gospel. We have the one thing in the world that can remedy whatever someone is going through, whatever hardship, whatever situation, whatever is going on in their life, we have the one thing that can help them. So why would we not want to share the good news of the gospel with those around us, people who are struggling with life? Third, I've seen that 
we need to apply this to our lives by not being ashamed of the testimony, sharing in the suffering for the gospel. And third, I think we need to guard the good deposit by entrusting in faithful men. Have you considered the fact that perhaps the greatest thing that you might be able to do with your life is to pour into another person? See, this doesn't apply to just pastors and leaders. This is for every single one of us here this morning. Every one of us needs to be investing into others. And so we need a vision, though. How do we do this? That's oftentimes, well, yeah, I want to, I want to pour into somebody, but how do we do that? Well, there is no perfect plan. But as we look through this letter, we see that relational development is key here. Reading, meeting regularly with somebody. Praying together with them. Studying the Bible get together. And simply talking through life together. So as this relationship grows, though, both of you will be ready to invest in another person. This is how we keep the gospel going in a world where it is not wanted. Would you join with me as we pray? Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. That it would be an encouragement to all of us that we would be able to take your words here, apply it to our lives. Father, we thank you for your gospel that we can draw upon your grace to strengthen us as each one of us struggles with different things in our life, discouragement, whatever it may be. We know that we can run to you and find our strength. Father, I pray that as we leave here this morning, as this week, that as we run into people, that we would take advantage of those opportunities to proclaim your word, to come alongside people, to help them in life, to just give them the strength. Lord, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.